Thank you, Maddie, and thank you all so much for being with us today. Thank you to those of you joining us online and those of you worshiping here in our service. I would echo Joseph's request from earlier that you please keep the face mask on throughout our service today. And we're so glad to have you with us on this uh, fourth Sunday of Advent. Looking forward to Christmas Eve and then Christmas this week. I'd like to begin with just a few moments of, of prayer this morning. Uh, to pray for you, to pray for what God is doing in our church, our community, and our world. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we come this morning again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, you have watched over us in this unusual year, and now I pray that you would bring encouragement to your people this morning, this day, uh, to those who are viewing, to those who are here in our sanctuary, would you strengthen your people with might by your spirit in our innermost being? Would you bring the encouragement and the renewal of faith that comes by the Holy Spirit? Would you cause your love to be increasingly poured upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit? Father, I especially want to pray today for those in our church who work in health care. Many of them are weary tired, working long hours, would you strengthen them? Would you protect them? Would you watch over them? And Father, we pray now as we open your word that you would renew our faith, rekindle our love for you. And we pray in the name of the Savior that you sent to be born, to live, to die, that we might know you and have eternal life. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you again for uh, joining us online and here in our sanctuary. We are at the very, very close to the end of our one story series. Today we come to the little New Testament book of Jude. Next week, Pastor Brian Edmonds is going to conclude our one story series as we focus on the book of Revelation. Jude is an interesting little New Testament book. In fact, I have to say, a couple of the most unusual statements in the entire New Testament are made in the book of Jude. And we're going to look at those, a couple of those, this morning. Let's look first, let's begin with the very first verse in the book of Jude, the introduction to Jude, where we learn that Jude uh, describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, Here's why that, that, I think that's particularly important. Bible commentators tell us that Jude was actually one of Jesus' own brothers, as was James. Uh, James and Jude were half-brothers of Jesus. That is, they were the sons of Joseph and Mary. And uh, it's, it's interesting, I think, that Jude, when he identifies himself as the author of the letter, doesn't capitalize on the fact that he's the half-brother of Jesus as a way to claim authority for what he's about to write. He simply says, I'm a brother of James, but I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. What a testimony to the deity of Jesus that, like James, Jude, raised in his own household, refers to Christ, refers to himself as Christ's servant. You know, as we read the Gospels early uh, in Jesus' ministry, his own brothers, his own siblings did not believe in him. 
But apparently after his resurrection, his own brothers, including Jude and James, came to faith in him. And in the letter of James, as in Jude now, they identify themselves at the very beginning simply as servants of Jesus Christ, their Lord and their God. And note what Jude says next at the beginning of this letter. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful way to introduce this letter? Those who are called, loved, and kept. And notice the wording, kept for Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, have you ever considered yourself as one who has been called, kept for Jesus Christ? You know, we often think at Christmas time of Jesus is, is God's greatest gift to us, and we should. He is that. But have you ever thought of yourself, those of you who are Christians, as God's gift to Jesus? Do you know that in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, when Jesus is praying to the Father, I think it's six times that Jesus refers to believers as gifts from the Father to the Son. He refers to Christians as those whom you have given me. We often think of Jesus as God's gift to us, and we should, but we rarely think of ourselves as the Father's gifts to Jesus. Not only that, Jesus keeps us. We're were kept for Jesus and also by Jesus because Jesus says elsewhere, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jude begins his letter with this beautiful, beautiful assurance. You're called, you're loved, you're kept. You're kept for Christ, you're kept by Christ. And now he launches into the letter of Jude and uh, there's some challenging things here. We're going to explore some of those right now. After giving this great reassurance about being kept for Christ, he calls believers to contend, to contend for the true faith. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered, once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, you're saying, I wanted to write you on another topic. Perhaps he wanted to explore, as the Apostle Paul did, the theological truth about salvation. But he says, God led me differently. God led me to appeal to you to contend for, to fight for the faith. Not talking about physically fighting, but holding fast to truth. And it refers to the faith as the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Take note of those words, once for all. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not change. But people in this early history of the church were already creeping into the church, distorting the message of the gospel. Jesus, uh, Jude is saying, don't let that happen. And then he gives this warning. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. That is, they've come into the church unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. He's saying that deceivers have come into the church, wolves in sheep's clothing. Warnings like this, friends, are found throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, 
It is no surprise as if his servants disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. There are deceivers behind pulpits. There are deceivers teaching in theological seminaries. In fact, today, that's often where distortions of the truth of the gospel begin in theological seminaries where people are taught that the Bible, the Scripture, is not the inspired authoritative word to God and it drifts down to those who are training for ministry and it it comes into the churches and before long you have churches and church movements and denominations parting from a clear understanding of the gospel and the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. And so Jude is giving a warning to contend, to hold fast to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to the gospel, that does not change. And he goes on to warn the early church to be aware of the ways of those who deceive. To be aware of the ways of deceivers. And he lists some of those ways. One is rebelliousness. People who are distorting the gospel are rebellious. They don't uh, submit to the authority of God's truth, God's word, the authority of the gospel. They rely on their own unstable guidance and defile the flesh. And Jude writes, in like manner, these people relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And now, Jude makes one of the most unusual statements in all the New Testament. When he gives an example of honoring authority, and he uses the angel, the archangel Michael, and he writes these unusual words, but when the archangel angel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, what in the world is Jude talking about here? We don't read anything elsewhere in the Bible about Michael and the devil fighting over the the body of Moses. Jude's point is simply that Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not take to himself authority that was not rightly his, but appealed to the Lord, his authority. When he said, the Lord rebuke you. That's Jude's point. Even the great archangel Michael honored authority. But what in the world is he talking about here? Michael, the archangel, is mentioned only a couple of other places I know of in the Bible. One is in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, where Michael is depicted as the angel, the spiritual force and power ruling on behalf of the people of Israel. But there's a fuller picture of who Michael is in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 4. Most interesting passage where we read that a great sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. And we understand this to have been Mary giving birth to Christ. So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. 
She gave birth to a male child, one who is, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Verse 7 says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, I shared that passage just to say this. Satan was created as an angel. Satan is not God's equal opposite. If Satan has an opposite, that would be the ruling angel, the archangel, Michael. And in this picture in the book of Revelation, Michael and his angels defeat Satan and his angels. And, um, and, and that gives us a little hint into uh, what Jude may have been talking about. But what in the world does it have to do with the body of Moses? Why was the archangel Michael contending with Satan about the body of Moses? Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, and by the way, the book of Jude is absolutely filled with Old Testament references. And he's assuming that the people to whom he's writing have a good knowledge of Old Testament scripture. And at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we read this about Moses. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, buried him in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses dies, and God himself God himself buries his servant Moses. But nobody knew where. Why did God take care to bury Moses where nobody would know about it? Very simply because God knew the hearts of the Israelites very well. And he knew that they were prone to idolatry. Years earlier, when the Israelites had been sickened because of their rebellion against God and they were, were bitten by poisonous snakes, God told Moses to make an image, a bronze serpent on a pole. And the Israelites in the book of Numbers were told, just look at it and the look of faith doing what God said to do would result in their being healed. That's what happened. And so this bronze pole with a serpent on it, you may notice its co connection to the image of uh, uh, medical practice over the years. You may have seen it outside of a pharmacy at some point. Over the years, the Israelites kept it with them in their travels throughout the wilderness. But we read something remarkable in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 18. A good king arose in Israel, his name was Hezekiah, and he took it upon himself to purge the land of idolatry. And in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, we read this. We read that he took the bronze serpent that Moses had made and he broke it into pieces because the Israelites 
had been making offerings to it. They had begun to worship it. These were the same Israelites that had made a golden calf to worship. Their hearts were often drawn to idolatry. Can you imagine what would have happened if they had had Moses' bones to carry with them on their journey? They would have worshipped his bones as, as a relic of some type. They would have committed idolatry. So God in his wisdom buries Moses where nobody else knows. And I suspect that is why Jude includes this verse. The angel Michael went to retrieve Moses' body for the Lord, and Satan is fighting for it because Satan is the initiator of all idolatry. He seeks to get God's people to commit idolatry. So, that's a long attempt to try to understand one of the most unusual verses in the, in the Old Testament. But Jude's, Jude's point here is that Michael the archangel, unlike Satan, his opposite, submits to the authority of God, does not take them authority that is not his, but simply says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And Jude is saying, these false teachers that creep into the church, they do not respect God-ordained authority. Secondly, these false teachers, he says, they're guilty of greed. Woe to them, Jude says, for they've walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Cain, Balaam, Korah, who are these people? You'd have to know the Old Testament to know who they are. It's striking to me, I didn't count the number of references in Jude to Old Testament peoples or events, but I, I would guess there are about 10. And the point is simply this, Jude, the second to last book in the New Testament, is teaching us by using the Old Testament. So if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, how could you really understand what is taught in New Testament books like the book of Jude? Part of our one story, of our desire to do this one story series was to help our church learn the importance of the Old Testament along with the New. God gave us 66 books, a unified whole, with one great uniting uh, theme throughout God's plan of redemption for his people. So what's Jude saying here? Cain was the brother of Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain was the one who, who slew his brother, who killed his brother because of his uh, jealousy toward him, his self-focus. Korah was the one that rebelled against Moses' authority. And Balaam, Balaam was an Israelite prophet who was seduced by the money of a pagan king, and in his greed, he betrayed God and he betrayed the Israelite people. And Jude is focusing in this verse on the greed of Balaam. He's saying these false teachers, they're, they, they reject authority. They're greedy. They're greedy for the sake of gain. They turn from God. And, and then finally, they cause divisions. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And Jude writes, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Be aware of people in the church who just cannot submit to authority. 
I'm not suggesting you can never disagree with what a church does or a policy or a program. But there are people who tend to go from church to church. I've observed it in, over the years. And they create division. They just simply create division in the church. Be aware of such people. Jude's saying these are the ways of deceivers, rebelliousness, greed, causing divisions. And then Jude seems to make the point that while these deceivers may appear to prosper, they may even seem to be winning the battle. False doctrine may seem to be gaining more people than true doctrine. But know this, God's judgment, His right righteous judgment, it will come. And Jude now gives four examples of this. Number one, the Israelites themselves. He says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, and he's writing to people who obviously know the scripture, know the Old Testament, that Jesus, that is the Lord, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. He's simply saying, remember, the Israelites were saved out of slavery in Egypt, but the ones who rebelled in the wilderness, God destroyed them. They didn't get into the promised land. It's a warning. Judgment will come. Number two, the angels. In the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. This is another one of those mysterious verses. I think he's talking about the angels who rebelled with Satan long ago. Satan's angels, many of whom are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude's making the point that all these, these people who rebelled against God, suffered judgment, just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding series, which indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is some strong language for a New Testament book, isn't it? He sounds like an Old Testament prophet. He's warning the people of God, deception will come in. There will come people who will distort the gospel of Jesus Christ, but hold fast, contend for the faith, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, because judgment will ultimately come on those who distort the message of the gospel, those who are deceivers, just as it did to the rebellious Israelites, just as it did to the rebellious angels, just as it did to Sodom and Gomorrah, and then a fourth example in another mysterious verse in the book of Jude. Enoch's prophecy. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What in the world is this about? Well, the Bible tells us who Enoch was. But this prophecy of Enoch, what is it all about? You may have even heard of the book of Enoch. There is a book of Enoch. 
it's one of those extra biblical books, those books that was written that were written that was not included in scripture. <coughs> now, I have some good news for you. I can't I can't answer these questions about the book of Enoch, but I do know someone who can and somebody who's going to do that. David Holcomb, uh, some of you know Pastor David Holcomb, how smart he is. Every Monday, some of you know this, uh, following the Sunday sermon, um, we record something here in our church in Brett Canode's office called Pastor, What Did You Mean? And it's a series of questions about the, the sermon topic or the book that the sermon was about. We've done that ever since the March, I guess, when COVID began. It was David Holcomb's idea. And David writes all the questions and whoever's preaching, we just show up and try to answer them. So on Monday night, those are posted on our YouTube channel or Facebook at 7 p.m. And I'm delighted to tell you that tomorrow, David Holcomb's going to be answering the questions. And our discipleship intern, Emily Rubel, is going to be asking. And he has agreed this will be one of the questions. So you want to learn about Enoch, why he's in there why Jude quotes somebody who's not even in the Bible? What is the book of Enoch? If you have any other difficult questions about Jude, you might email those to David before tomorrow. And our answers, be sure to, to engage in that tomorrow at 7 p.m. I'm really looking forward to it. <clears throat> so we won't spend any more time on that now. But the point is this. Jude is taking care to say, hold to the faith, my friends. You're loved by God. You're called by God. And you're kept by God. But you need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because all kinds of distortions were going to come in. And Jude is filled with warnings. Warnings about people in the past who betrayed God. Who turned against God. Who turned against Moses. Against the word of God. Sodom and Gomorrah. Rebellious angels rebellious Israelites, Cain, Balaam, Korah, all these Old Testament folks. Jude's teaching us through them. But then he ends the letter like he began, with encouragement and reassurance. And he calls those of us who know Jesus, those of us who are believers, to four things. Number one, Build yourself up. I think Jude, in, in, in writing this, is saying, don't, don't spend all your concentration on the deceivers and even upon their coming judgment. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, by study, by prayer in the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill your life and help you to pray, the Holy Spirit who helps us understand the Scripture, be built up. Because unless you are built up in your own faith, you can't build up anybody else. Number two, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you're waiting on the second coming of Christ, Guard your life to be sure you're kept in the love of God. The fact that Jude would give this imperative, keep yourselves in the love of God, tells me that it takes deliberate effort, purposeful intent to remain in the love of God, to keep your heart from being pulled away from the love of God. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us do that. Number three, share the gospel with others. 
have mercy on those who doubt. Save others, snatching them out of the fire to show to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stated by the flesh. I think what Jude's talking about is the need to take the gospel to all people and that we deal with different people according to their respective needs when we share the gospel. Some people need to be jolted into the reality of their perilous eternal state unless they repent and turn to Jesus. And then fourth, and finally, remember who keeps you. These last two verses in the book of Jude, I think, are two of my favorite in the whole New Testament. They're absolutely beautiful. Jude writes, Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Remember he began the letter to those who are kept by Jesus, kept for Jesus. And though he's given us any number of examples of people who turned against God, turned away from, turned against, he says, you know the one who can keep you from stumbling. And not only that, he's the one who can present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. I'm really struck by those words because I think, how, how can I, a sinner, be presented before the glorious throne of God the Father, blameless? How is that possible? It's only possible because of what we call the gospel. That God the Son left the perfection of the glory of heaven to be Emmanuel, God with us. The baby born of Mary. It's only possible because Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, would live this life as one of us and face the temptations we face and never sin and fully fulfill God's holy law and then offer his life on the cross as a sacrifice, bearing our judgment so we could bear his righteousness before the Father's throne and be presented blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And Jude says, remember that. Remember that. Because the one who keeps you, who loves you, who called you, he can keep you all the way. All the way until that day when he presents you before the very glory of his Father, blameless and with great joy. Keep your eyes on him. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, we come now in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Pray for any watching our service or here in our sanctuary who have, have never transferred their trust from their own efforts to be good to you, who have never embraced the gospel, the gift of God through Jesus Christ. I pray for those that you would draw them to a full surrender to the Lordship of Jesus today. Your word says to all who received him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, never received his saving work, I'd invite you today to simply, in prayer, say, Lord, I believe. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I receive you as my Savior and Lord and believe you provided for my salvation in your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord now. And um, before we do, I just want to <clears throat> thank you for your financial support of our church this year. I know it's been a really tough year for many people, but um, you've been faithful. And because of that, uh, our church has, has held up fine during this difficult and unusual year. And we're looking forward to a great, great year ahead. So I thank you for that. Remind you that you can fill out the ham here cards online or on your bulletin here and drop them in the basket as you leave. And one last reminder, next Sunday, December 27th, on the book of Revelation, Pastor Brian Edmonds will be preaching. We're going to have one service live stream at 10 a.m. And uh, here in our sanctuary, this will be what we sometimes call a family-style service, children with us. There won't be kids rocking Noah's Ark, but kids be with, uh, with those who are able to worship here in the sanctuary at 10 next week. So let's worship the Lord now, and then Pastor David Holcomb is con coming to uh, close our service. <laughs>